You're listening to a podcast from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. I'm your host, Tom Johnson. Today, I'm talking with Peter Grunbaum about API documentation, specifically um, automating REST API documentation, which is a particularly hot topic I know from uh, various uh, threads and presentations. So before we get started, I wanted to introduce Peter a little bit and have him tell a little bit about himself. He is a president at SDK Bridge, which is a technology communication and education company. He's based in Seattle. Uh, looking at your, your profile, you studied physics in Chicago and Stanford, even earned a PhD, uh, then started out your career as a, as a software engineer for about 10 years and transitioned into being a programming writer. Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, having me on this uh, podcast. It's it's funny. I feel like a little bit of a celebrity. I've never been interviewed for a podcast before. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about how um, probably all of us who are, are certainly around my generation who are doing this kind of work have some kind of story. You know, we never set out to be API writers, right? We, we found ourselves there along the way somehow. And, and so, yeah, I started off in physics and, uh, you know, I was doing uh, solar cell uh, research and uh, came to the Seattle area to work for Boeing um, and, uh, you know, worked in their, their uh, research labs for a while. And then Boeing, they decided to get out of the solar cell business, uh, as they often do. Uh, they, get a, they get into a business and they get out. Uh, and I, I worked, found my way into a software group at Boeing and found I, I really enjoyed doing software. Um, and so I, I was there for a while, and then it was the time of the dot-com boom, and, you know, I left to go to startups. None of my startups made me rich, unfortunately, but um, but for a couple startups. Uh, and then, of course, the crash happened, and uh, I was, uh, you know, laid off of a company that burned through all their venture capital and uh, was, you know, just looking for work anywhere I could get it. And I ended up at a, at a little company um, that uh, basically did uh, software contract work, uh, and they had a project they were doing for Microsoft uh, to sort of show off, showcase one of their technologies. And uh, they hired me, and I, I worked for them for a while. They had uh, great, um, really great developers, great projects, but absolutely terrible uh, management. And uh, I just could not stand uh, working with their managers. Uh, and and we were working on this project that, as I said, to demonstrate something for for Microsoft. And like one day they they come in and they say. We got great news. Uh, Bill Gates is going to demo this software you're working on in front of a, a audience filled with CEOs. It's going to be in two weeks. And uh, I said, great, we better stop adding features and test the hell out of this. And they're like, no, 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 we, we said we put these features in, so we're going to just keep going, adding features. And, uh, <laughs> and then that night, I was like, no, I think it's time to work on my resume. Um, and I, uh, I, by coincidence, a couple of days later, I got a call from a recruiter, and he said, um, he said, can you write? We're looking for developers who can write. And I said, yeah, actually, I can. And he said, well, why don't you interview it uh, as a programmer writer for um, for Microsoft, uh, working in their tablet PC group. And so I, I did that, and uh, I liked them, and um, ended up sort of giving notice. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, uh, Bill Gates demoed that code, and it crashed. It crashed on my code. So that's like, <laughs> I feel like that could go on my tombstone. It's like, uh, Bill Gates crashed my code. Um, but anyway, I was glad to leave that company, and uh, uh, and I spent a year as a programmer writer at Microsoft. Um, 
working with this tablet PC group. And the tablet PC group was fantastic. They were just a really great group of both developers and writers. And I really kind of got to learn the craft of API writing from those guys. Um, and then uh, the way that it works at Microsoft, uh, if you're a particular kind of contractor, you can only work there for a year and then you have to take this break. So I worked there for a year. I did some other things. I um, I was doing various contract work. Some I started a company to do medical uh, simulation software with some other people. It didn't go anywhere. Um, <clears throat> and then at some point, I just felt like uh, I had done enough API writing that I could see that there was a, a huge need. It was just a need for people who understood coding really well and who could write well. And I thought I could I could build a company on this. Uh, and I got together with a guy by the name of Jonathan Fingold, who, um, who I'd met at Microsoft in, in my year there, and we formed this company. And we're now, um, let's see, we started that in 2008. Uh, we started primarily working for Microsoft, and I gradually got us off so that we're, uh, we're actually not doing anything for Microsoft right at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, um, you know, we've, we've kind of assembled a small team. We've got uh, the two of us, Jonathan and I, do a lot of the writing, but then we also have four other writers that we call on when we need to. And uh, um, we basically do uh, primarily API writing. We do a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, we do a certain amount of training and curriculum development and video tutorials. And we're starting to get a little bit more into writing sample code and uh, even wrapper SDKs for web APIs. But, you know, again, the, the primary business we do is, is API documentation, um, because that's kind of where the, the biggest need is at the moment. Well, you have a, a, a great deal of experience in this field, and it sounds like you have just a, a, an amazing kind of background as well uh, with your technical, technical knowledge and other sort of um, projects you've done. We want to focus this podcast on the REST API documentation, which a lot of people um, are curious about, particularly when we say automated documentation. Um, now, can you tell, uh, can you tell us what do people mean by automated documentation? I mean, right, right. It's, it's funny because it's a very clear meaning when you're talking about kind of the other APIs besides the web APIs like REST. So if you're talking about, you know, an API that's built on a programming language like, um, Java or C++ or C Sharp, um, there's a very specific meaning to what automated documentation means. It's, it's, it's basically that if you have something like a, a method or a class, um, that's a very well-defined uh, syntax in the programming language, and you can put special comments right above that definition, um, and uh, some software will come through and grab those comments, you know, kind of make a correlation between that and the definition, and and spit out, you know, documentation that, that looks good. So basically someone still has to write the documentation, but they write it in the code, in the comments of the code, and it, it pulls it out and generates automated uh, documentation from that. Um, so that's what most people mean when they talk about automated documentation. Now REST documentation is tricky because, um, you know, the beauty of REST is that really all it is is it's it's an HTTP call uh, request coming in and it's got information and then it's a, a response going back. And how you do the code to manage that can be however you like, right? And, and so that's what makes it, you don't have the sort of same structure you do when you're doing the, the programming language API. Um, you just know that you've got information coming in and information going out. Uh, and so 
if, if there's no like one place in the code you can say, oh, here are my comments that I want you to turn into documentation. Um, so so that uh, that being said, there's sort of two kinds of uh, automation that, that I talk about um, when I write about uh, automated documentation. One is that um, you can do what I'm talking about uh, just like for a programming language if you're using some kind of framework where all that stuff is very well defined. Uh, and I, I mentioned this one called Enunciate, but I think there are others out there where if you're basically using the framework to generate the code that, that allows you to have the web API, then, uh, then you, know, you do know where those comments go and you can create a tool that takes that and, gen and generates documentation from it. But uh, that said, that's kind of unusual. Uh, not that many people build stuff on these platforms where it's well-defined. Mostly it's kind of freeform how you, uh, how you actually do that API. So, um, so there's these other tools out there that are kind of in between. It's not like you have the comments in the code, but you do have comments in code. It's just not in the same place. What you'll have is some kind of structured data. Uh, usually it's uh, in the JSON format, although it can be in XML in some cases, or it can be in other types, types of markup language too. Um, and basically, again, a tool takes that, um, takes that uh, um, uh, you know, structured data, the JSON or the XML or whatever, and turns it into, uh, into this really nice documentation. And the advantage of doing it that way is that um, the, the original file not only tells you the comments, but it also tells you how to make a call to the API. So, um, so you can basically, in the documentation itself, have the ability for somebody to try out the uh, API request. So in other words, it'll say, this is what the API request does, you know, click this button and you'll actually send a request and you can see what the response looks like. So that's kind of nice. Uh, so you get a chance to try things out within the documentation itself. So now there's a lot of uh, things to talk about here. Uh, uh -huh. you, you mentioned Enunciate and a lot of other people talk, uh, talk about Swagger and I've heard other tools as well, mm -hmm. uh, IO Docs. And you call you call these a framework that people um, put comments in and so forth. Can you tell me a little bit more? So just so I uh, have a clear grasp, we're not actually talking about comments in the code where the REST API is coded. This is a separate file, a framework file uh, that has a sp special structure syntax. Well, the, um, the enunciate, and I, I can't claim to be an expert on it, but my sense is that it basically generates the code. So, the, so you are you're putting comments somewhere kind of uh, that help in a sort of very well-defined way. Um, whereas uh, Swagger and IODocs, this is a separate file that's different than the code that actually generates the API, but it mirrors the code. And it basically says, you know, this is a, a get, you know, and, uh, and for REST, you have sort of different verbs or methods they're called. There's get and post and delete and so on. So it'll tell you this is a get. Um, and this is what the URL you would use would be, and these are what the parameters are that you would call, uh, you know, query parameters you could include, and so forth. Um, and so basically, your your um, structured data captures all of that. But typically, I've heard that people want to put comments in the code to prevent code or yeah, documentation drift, which right. which is where the documentation veers away from the code and they're down different paths. But if you're using something like Swagger and your documentation is kind of in this Swagger framework, is is that going to prevent code drift or not? 
My, you know, my sense, and I and I haven't talked to uh, developers in detail about this issue, so I, I can't say. But my sense is that it does not, right? It's, it really does not protect you from this this code drift. Um, and uh, uh, there may be ways to kind of check it, uh, you know, sort of uh, use that swagger thing and make all the calls and make sure nothing has changed. So I think it can be used in things like automated testing, but. Um, but that's different than uh, um, actually being in the code, um, and and you know I I have to say that um, there's sort of a debate as to whether um, this thing you know having the comments in the code is really all that beneficial because um, you know yes in theory uh, if you make a change the code the comments are right there but you know does it actually really happen and does it happen you know with a kind of accuracy and consistency um, you've got to be fairly disciplined um, and sometimes it's useful to have somebody on the outside you know to be able to um, you know verify things are are, um, are working rather than relying on a developer for example to, to make that change so you know that's a question I've had as as well um, it seems like when when documentation is in with the actual code, and, and it's usually more common with a platform-specific API, uh, the engineers are pretty much in charge of, of that, or at least it's in their domain, uh, more so than an API that, that doesn't offer that feature that requires an external uh, source and usually an external author. Um, where do you stand on that whole debate? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I probably have my own bias because we are, you know, an external uh, company that, that focuses on writing. And, and I, I think it is good to have that in the domain of the writer rather than the developer, um, just because it's just such, there's such two different skills, um, the, the developers and, and writers. Um, and so, uh, so my opinion is that, you know, it is, it is better. Uh, but, you know, uh, I can also see how... Um, uh, Sometimes it is actually easier for the writer if they understand code to go in and and uh, and add those comments in, and then they don't have to deal with with the whole tool that generates the the comments quite so well, quite so much. And, and it's a common for us to do it at SDK Bridge. They um, the practice is basically that somebody will uh, you know the source will be in source control, and you'll create a separate branch, and we'll kind of add the comments into that branch, and then they'll they'll merge it back in and that makes it very uh, harder for us to go and mess up their their stuff and and emerging kind of uh, it helps see where there have been changes um, since the time it was branched so that's pretty common if we're doing that kind of um, uh, that kind of documentation but in general you know and as they say for rest it's different for us you you are actually working with a separate file for the most part if you are doing this kind of automated documentation if a writer, if a technical writer wants to get up to speed on one of these uh, solutions like Swagger or Enunciate or IODocs or something else, can you just go and create a Swagger file? Do you have to have a fully functioning API or can you create a mock API and fake the, call, the responses? Well, you can, um, you can create a mock API and build the documentation off it, um, you know, because you're basically just building the, the you know, JSON file. Uh, and then you'll find that, you know, when it's time to call it, those calls won't go through. Um, but, but still, no, I think you can, you can pretty much mock everything up pretty well. Um, yeah, I don't see that there'd be any, uh, any downside to that uh, or any, anything that would prevent you, I guess, from, from mocking it up like that.
on the REST APIs, do they have to, okay, in order for them to be functional, uh, most of these, these um, at least with the Swagger demos I've seen, they have a dynamic endpoint generator. You plug in the values and you can see that response that's returned. Well, that mm -hmm. seems like it would work fine if um, your users have an API key and they're, or if it doesn't require an API key, but let's say they've got an API key and they've got values they know and so forth and can plug in. But what if, uh, what if your API doesn't lend itself to that kind of uh, easy testing and so forth? Is there a certain kind of APIs that that, that sort of dynamic endpoint generator ca uh, caters to? Yeah, definitely. And um, um, I mean, there's two issues. One is what you just brought up, uh, which is, yes, you have to have an API key to make these calls and try them out. And um, I think the assumption is that, you know, you are a developer, you've gone and gotten your API key and now you're, you're trying it out. Um, or sometimes I've seen it that they will give, you know, here's the, the test API key to use and it goes to some kind of sandbox. Um, and you can kind of play around. So I've seen those two approaches. But um, but you're right that you kind of have to know what you're doing and what good values are in order to get a meaningful response back. Um, and so in some ways, I feel like these automated ability to call, um, you know, in theory, they're good. And uh, and this is a question that, you know, we, we every so often we'll do these surveys of developers to try to understand what they want in documentation. And I'm thinking this would be a really good question to ask developers. Do they really use those things or is it just too and will be. Do you already have to know most everything in order to make these automated uh, calls from the documentation? And um, uh, so, so yeah. So I, I'm I'm starting to think that you know sample code, uh, sample and not code, the sample uh, requests and responses mm -hmm. could possibly give you more information than than this kind of ability to try things out. You know, it, it's going to depend. Um, so yeah, so that was that was the whole whole one thing you were asking, and then the other, you know, you're asking, is there a kind of API that this lends itself to? And that absolutely, you know, when people ask me, well, what tool should I use? I say, you might be interested in Swagger and IO Docs, but only if your API is fairly straightforward, um, because um, often what we find is that APIs have complex workflow you know it's like well first you got to call this one and then you've got to take that information and call this one and and that information you know that kind of um uh content is very hard to squeeze into these uh these automated systems like swagger and io docs um or god forgive forbid you have an image, you know, that, that you want to be able to show to show how something works. You know, there's no way to get images in there. So, um, so I think in some ways, uh, they're good if, you know, you can describe everything in a couple sentences, uh, and it's very, very clear and straightforward. But if you've got some kind of complexity, um, they don't really work that well. I'm glad you brought that up, because I've been really wondering about this. The APIs that I document at my work have that kind of workflow that you're talking about where one mm -hmm. call you, you make one call to create a, an object that gets returned that gets plugged in as one of the uh, arguments for another call and so forth and and you make several calls before you get to the granddaddy of them all that's going to give you the what you're using the whole api for right. so I, I can see how if i plug this into swagger and somebody goes in and they say oh i want to get a score back or whatever feature you're trying to get back you know, it may not work unless you've done the proper preparation with these other prerequisite calls. Right, right, exactly. And that, yeah, and that's why I think that, uh, you know, the sample response, request and response may actually be more useful. Um, 
and and of course you know documentation that allows you to be pretty unstructured and and describe these sort of complex workflows there are some tools out there that that really um have gotten good feedback because they show the call and response uh not nece necessarily in an automated dynamic way i'm thinking of slate um another one the doco d-o-c-c-o -C -C not entirely sure how you say that uh and others where you have th these kind of documentation approaches have become popular because they show the whole shebang like in uh, two or three columns where you've got like the information about the api on the left and then on the right you've got a sample uh response or something do you think um what, what are your thoughts on some of these uh tools yeah, they. I mean, they, you're you're right. They've become very popular. Um, and again, I'm. I don't know. It's funny. I I find um, I find it's a lot of information, and and I'm curious whether it's, it's sort of information overload. Um, what's you know, what's nice. A lot of these um, have these tabs for different programming languages. So it's like, you know, if you want to find out how do you make that, how do you call this thing in Ruby, you know, you you click on the Ruby tab, and it'll tell you how to do that. Um, and, and again, they tend to be very short uh, code snippets. So again, it, it doesn't work that well if you've got a lot of complexity. Uh, I think people would get kind of overwhelmed um, trying to figure out, um, you know, what, uh, if you did have something complex, you'd be squeezing a lot of information into this format. But on the whole, uh, people do seem to, to like them. Uh, and so I think we're seeing more and more. I, I have not found any um, tools yet that generate this, that style. Uh, and so I'll be curious to see if that starts showing up, uh, if people start creating tools that allow you to create those multiple column um, documentation pages. Well, the one that I that is that I'm remembering is called Slate, which is it's built to mimic. Um, oh man, I just forgot the the famous one that people are always holding up as like the paragon of API. Oh, uh... <laughs> it's a, it's a financial swipe or something like that. Sw like, stripe, stripe, stripe. Yeah, yeah. Stripe. So Slate Docs is is an imitator of Stripe, and Slate I think is a template created by the same guys at Programmable Web. Uh, the at least they branched off. I think their branch off companies, Knowledge Science or something. It's John Moosen. I haven't played oh, yeah, around yeah. with them, but anyway. Um, so. There's another tool that I see in this list. You sent me a link, and uh, they listed Doxygen as as a tool there. So, mm -hmm. you know, Doxygen can parse comments uh, from, I guess, any kind of source files and extract it into documentation. Have you ever used Doxygen for REST API uh, documentation? So, no, I haven't. Um, and, uh, and I'm, again, I, I'd be curious to see how you could use it because... Uh, Again, uh, REST is uh, can be done so many different ways. Um, so I've not come across anybody using Doxygen for REST. Um, there, you know, there is there was one project we did. Uh, it was it was done in Ruby, and they used RDoc, uh, which you know is sort of the equivalent of Doxygen for for Ruby as as a way to do this. And the way they did it was they just came up with a one to one mapping between REST API calls and these Ruby functions. So 
you know, basically a, uh, you know, with a REST API call, you've got a URL, so you've got some, uh, some slashes and some IDs and so forth. Uh, and they would just say, okay, a slash is a double underscore and, uh, you know, an ID is a, is a such and such. And they would just kind of create this kind of mapping. And then they came up with a tool that would um, take the RDoc generated stuff and turn it into uh, REST API documentation. So it wasn't an easy thing to do, but it was possible. Um, does that make sense at all? This idea of like creating this mapping between uh, you know what what you've got in the code and and the REST APIs. Yeah, I think a lot of companies will will basically have uh, an engineer write some custom transform code of some kind based on their specific uh, setup. That that at least that was my experience at a previous company. Um, it, mm -hmm. An engineer tried to create a script that would automate as much as possible some of the documentation, but um, I'm curious to know what's your favorite tool or I don't know maybe, or framework uh, that you would lean towards if uh, let's say you're you're contracting with a new uh, company they've got a REST API and it's fairly typical not super complex what's your um, go-to method for documenting it? Yeah. So again, well, complexity, I think, is the big, the big thing. And, and um, you know, if it's if it's straightforward, um, uh, and we do like, um, I guess we've used IO docs. I mean, Swagger and IO docs, I think, are very similar, from my understanding. And uh, and that, you know, that was great for something very simple. Um, but uh, I've also I, I've seen a demonstration of MuleSoft's tool, uh, which uses uh, Raml, which is um, uh, rest something markup language um, and it was very impressive so if I I haven't had a chance to use it I don't know if it if it works as nicely as the demo showed but that would definitely be one I would be willing to try but um, what I find if, if there's sort of more complexity and these tools aren't so great um, there's more and more documentation being done in markdown and uh, you know I, I just finished a project where we ended up um, using WordPress with Markdown, which I didn't even know you could do. But uh, basically, you know, writing this stuff in, in Markdown, and then you get kind of all the content management that comes along with uh, WordPress. And, and it was pretty slick. Um, so I like Markdown. In case you haven't heard of what Markdown is, it's basically a, um, it's a simple markup language. So, you know, if you work in HTML, you just have all these tags, and it just becomes a real hassle to work with. And Markdown, you know, does what HTML does, but much, much simpler. Uh, you know, it's not, you can't do nearly as much, but it does the basics in this very, very simple mark, uh, markup language. So um, uh, that's, that's kind of my current favorite, is to figure out ways to use Markdown. That's really interesting. At, at my previous um, uh, company I was at, we, I was using Markdown, and mm -hmm. we had a Drupal site, which is like WordPress, but different. Um, right. And so I actually wrote most of the documentation uh, in Markdown and I put it on a Google Doc. Um, uh, sometimes I'd add some bold or something just because people were reviewing it. Then I'd copy and paste it out of the Google Doc into uh, uh, one of the Markdown to HTML converters mm -hmm. and, put it, and put it into Drupal. But it sounds like you're just keeping the documentation in its native Markdown format and and pushing it into WordPress. Did you import it or just was it article by article? 
No, it was, I mean, literally, you know, you'd open up a, a WordPress page. And again, I don't know, maybe there was a special plugin for this. Um, but it would just, you know, uh, sh just as, as you uh, normally WordPress, you have two tabs, right? HTML and, um, and the visual. And this would have the visual and markdown uh, instead. So, um, you know, it just ended up working in the markdown. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty slick. I was pretty impressed. Although, you know, there's, sometimes it's harder to work. You know, WordPress gives you a lot of great stuff, but sometimes you just wish you were had text files. You know, if you want to do a global search and replace, it's just much easier if you have a bunch of text files and you have to go find them in this WordPress, you know, database. Do, do you find that DITA is obsolete in the API doc world where you've done contracts? You know, uh, yeah, it, it, it is, which is it's sort of surprising. When I first, you know, heard about Dita, I thought, oh, this makes a lot of sense. We should be, uh, we should be using it. But uh, I could not find any uh, customers um, basically wanting to use it. And and I do think uh, there was one project where we ended up doing a piece of it in Dita, and it, and it did seem sort of unnecessarily complex, like like it was just more than what we needed. Uh, to do this kind of API documentation. So I can't, yeah, it's very rare that I come across anybody who, who wants DITA. You mentioned that you also do video tutorials. So this, uh -huh. is, this is something I'm curious about. Um, I've done a lot of video tutorials, but I feel like ever since uh, kind of moving into API documentation, videos haven't been as in demand or popular. How do you use video tutorials and how do you integrate them into your help? Yeah, so there. Um, uh, it's it, what I enjoy about doing video tutorials is that it, it is actually a huge challenge because the last thing you want to do is see people, you know, typing code in, in your video, right? It's just incredibly boring. So, uh, so it's like, how do you get this to be visually interesting and really be about something that's about text? So um, we, I don't. I'm trying to think. Well, we did one uh, one REST API one where basically. Um, it was a case where it was sort of a combination, you know, there was a, um, a UI through the web that you would set things up and then you'd make the API call. So, you know, there's a certain amount of visual aspect there. Um, and, uh, um, and the other ones we've done have been more, you know, kind of standard .NET SDKs where there, there were visual components to what the SDKs did. Um, so... Uh, I, I still think it would be interesting and I think quite possible to create REST API um, uh, video tutorials. You know, you'd use a visual tool like uh, my favorite is uh, there's a Chrome uh, app called Postman, and it just gives you a really visual way of looking at what a, an API request and response are. Um, but but I you know I think that uh, as uh, you know younger and younger developers come on board you know these are people who grew up in in uh, learning from videos you know and that's how they like to learn and uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to reach these younger developers by creating these kind of tutorials. If you have a video or any other maybe extensive code sample or notes or some kind of information, and you're using a tool like io docs or swagger how do you integrate that extra information and the video and the other code samples in with the swagger kind of output yeah it's tough i think that is again one of the big disadvantages of those tools and unless again we the last time i did stuff with them was a couple of years ago and i don't know if they've gotten more sophisticated but i and my memory is that it was possible to create these sort of more complex you know um conceptual uh articles and link in to the um into the Swagger docs, but much harder to 
go the other direction, you know, because ideally you'd want to say, well, you know, in this call, read this, you know, architectural overview to understand how this stuff fits into the bigger picture. Um, and that that really wasn't possible to do. Um, but it was possible to go the other way and say, all right, you know, in order to do this, make this call. And then you can link, uh, link over to the, the swagger stuff. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, any top, are there any topics, Peter, that, uh, we haven't, kind of touched upon that you think would be noteworthy for this focus on, on REST API documentation? Um, let's see. Um, well, one thing uh, I was going to mention, uh, and uh, there, may, there may be more, um, but um, is that uh, I've been, you know, hearing a lot about um, uh, technical writers who do not have a programming background, and uh, and they they're very interested in being able to do this kind of uh, REST API documentation, and uh, you know wondering how do, how do they break into it? And you know there's kind of a debate. Uh, uh, we're both part of this LinkedIn uh, group, and uh, and I asked the question: Do you have to know programming to be able to to do this REST API? And uh, I was a lot of people seem to think that. Um, that you did, even though I'm not sure you technically need it, but it kind of gives you a, a really good perspective to understand it. Um, but I began thinking about, you know, could this be taught? You know, could you teach people not only kind of how to do the documentation, but the perspective and how it's used? Um, and so I've been looking into um, creating some online courses to be able to do this. And so, um, so that's been an, an interesting project I've been working on in the last few weeks is to see what, you know, how could you create, uh, in this case, there are uh, video tutorials on, uh, on REST API documentation, starting with structured data, you know, JSON and XML and, and moving into, um, you know, more the HTTP and how all that works and eventually getting into programming. But um, but starting with these kind of simpler things. So just mention that uh, that's something that I'm I'm working on. Hope to have um, kind of a first course uh, using um, Udemy right now uh, as my platform, and hoping to have something uh, by end of January, early February. Well, wow, that that's exciting. I think there would be a high demand for that, and especially I mean this whole topic of REST API documentation is so much more popular right now than I can imagine. Uh, for example, we uh, I'm, I'm coordinating a workshop um, that Sarah Maddox is giving in this area on REST API, on API documentation. Oh yes, uh -huh. and and we had uh, like a capacity of about 110, and it's it basically sold or it was free uh, because it's being hosted at Google and they didn't want to deal with a fee. So anyway, uh -huh. um, it's it basically maxed out in the first week, and there are like another hundred people on the waiting list. And wow. I, I'm a little, you know, it, it, it's a little bit surprising because REST or API documentation is kind of like this magic buzzword right now when it really is just, it seems like developer documentation or programming writing um, mm -hmm. that uh, is much less sexy sounding, right? Um, for, for technical <laughs> right. writers with humanities backgrounds, you know, learning some of this code is, is arduous. It's not necessarily something that's really exciting. It's kind of interesting, but it's not something that I'll gravitate to and do it um, just for fun, always in my free time. Um, what, what do you think? Uh, tell me about yourself. Do you do you find yourself just kind of naturally interested in coding or is it a, a skill that you've just learned as part of your job? That's a, that's a very uh, good question. Um, 
I would say that, yes, I do have a natural interest in coding. And, and I have wondered that, that folks, and, and I've met a few, but not many, who have come from the humanities and, and into the, the programming side. Uh, and, and I do think you have to have an interest because, you know, documenting this, this stuff, if, if you don't care about it, um, I think it would be much more dry than documenting end user data, uh, end user, um, you know, content, uh, you know, if you're not interested in it. So, uh, so I agree, you know, I, I worry that technical writers are doing this because they know it pays better or, um, or they feel like it's going to give them more job security. But I do think you, you have to have the interest. You have to be interested in, um, in what's going on, uh, kind of in the, you know, in, in software, like what's, what's going on underneath. And, and uh, you know, I think it is a fascinating time, right? I mean, the, the, I do feel like these web APIs, you know, you mentioned programmable web. If you ever look once a year, they publish this graph of how many public REST APIs or uh, web APIs are in their directory and, and the incredible growth it's had and how, you know, it's really shaping our world, these, these web APIs. And yet, completely out of sight. Nobody seems to know about them unless they're, they're in the industry. And so I would hope that technical writers would just sort of get interested in that. Like, how does, how does things work underneath? How are these messages being passed back and forth? What can you do with it? Um, the whole idea of, you know, mashups of, of grabbing data from different sources and, and creating something new. Um, you know, I, I would hope that this would, this would kind of capture their imagination. But, uh, but I, I, I also do worry that, that some people are coming in thinking, well, this is just a better, higher paying, more secure job. I, I think, yeah, that's kind of a recipe for unhappiness if that's what's driving you to, uh, to take on this API writing. Well, what, um, this is a question. So you got a PhD in physics and, mm -hmm. then, and then it seems like uh, turned immediately into computer programming. Why the switch from science to computer science, I guess. Yeah, it's, um, it, well, it wasn't immediately. It was, uh, I, I did work for, um, well, I got my graduate degree and then probably worked in industry, uh, and probably it was about three to four years uh, before I got, well, four to five before I got into software. Um, and, and partly it was a, a thing where I kind of realized um, that I had gone into physics, but there was something about software that that just really appealed to me. And, and I grew up in the very early days of computers, right? So my uh, high school uh, computer, you, you had literally 2K of memory to work with, right, to, to write your software. And, uh, and we would, you know, figure out how to write a chess playing program. It didn't have any strategy, but, you know, there were those sort of things that I really did love software. And at some point, I, I don't know, I think I decided it wasn't real enough. I needed to be working with the real world of physics and I kind of put it aside. But I forgot, you know, when I came back to it, I realized, oh, I used to really, really like this. You know, I used to love the, the problem solving that comes with, with software. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and the, and the industry has changed. I mean, that's the one thing that's hard is that, you know, in the, in the early days of computer, there, was, there wasn't that much to learn and you can do a lot with it. Um, but now there's, um, you know, there's so many different tools out there and so many languages and, and so much sort of specialization. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's sort of the downside, I think, is that, that now people are expected to know, you know, whatever the acronym de jour is, uh, whereas in fact, you know, really what's, what's important is this kind of problem solving ability that's, that's uh, what software is all about. 
Peter, if uh, people want to know more about you and your company, SDK Bridge, how, where can they go? So, uh, yeah, come to our website. That's sdkbridge.com. And uh, you'll get to see, you know, the different kinds of work we've done, um, you know, the different companies we've done stuff for. Uh, there's a tab with publications. One thing that I, I really enjoy doing is writing about the art of API writing. And so... Um, there's remarkably little literature out there on this. So I write articles, I get them up on programmable web or, or other places. Uh, and so there's a whole list of those articles you can check out as well. Um, and then, yeah, you can always contact us. Um, my, my email is peter at sdkbridge.com. Um, but uh, you can also just, just kind of fill out a form and, and send us a note that way too. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking with me on this podcast. Yes, well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Uh, great to talk to you about all this.